This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, The Young Turks, The David Packman Show, The Tom Hartman Program, The Onion Radio News, This Week in Blackness, On the Media, and Ron Kipling-Williams. So uh, let's say you're an 18-year-old. And you decide to, you know, you're with your friends hanging out, you're in high school, and you go past the local bingo hall, maybe you live in a town like Covington, Kentucky, and you go into the local bingo hall and you sit down, play a game of bingo, and you decide, wouldn't it be hilarious to shout out bingo when there is no bingo? Ha ha ha! What a childish prank, but then again, you're in high school. Um, that's what happened to Austin Whaley. He went into uh, the Covington, Kentucky Bingo Hall, and he yelled bingo. Now, what happened to Covington, uh, Austin Whaley that probably wouldn't have happened to you is that a sergeant, police sergeant Richard Webster was there, and he decided to arrest Austin Whaley, 18-year-old <laughs> Austin oh Whaley, a high school student, for yelling out bingo in the bingo hall. What did police sergeant Richard Webster have to say? At first, everybody started moaning and groaning when they thought they'd lost. When they realized it wasn't a real bingo, <laughs> they started hooting and hollering and yelling and cussing. People take their bingo very seriously. So, apparently though, not only do those people take bingo very seriously, Sergeant Webster does too. Because Sergeant Webster went on to arrest him, and uh, he continued on, Just like you can't run into a theater and yell fire, when there is no fire, you can't run into a crowded bingo hall and yell bingo when there isn't one. <laughs> he just he just equated those two, which is unbelievable in itself. Um, thankfully for young Austin Whaley, um, uh, Sergeant Webster isn't the one charging him, uh, uh, giving him the sentence to these charges. Uh, Kenton District Judge Douglas Grothaus uh, showed some leniency, to say the least. And instead of the maximum punishment of 90 days in jail and $250 fine for shouting bingo when there was no bingo at a bingo hall... It's a big deal. The judge said that he, uh, young Austin Whaley could not say the word bingo for six months. <laughs> if he if he successfully does not say the word bingo after six months, the charges will be dismissed. I mean, what what is going on here? I mean, it's a silly story. It's funny, but what is happening? Like, really, really? Like, this is police state gone wild. Like, what is going on here? This is just like unbelievable. Mary Jo Whites of the world going to the SEC, the Eric Holders of the world, the Attorney General, etc., say we can't go after the banks. Uh, they're too big to jail. 
What, what, what would it do to the economy and to their poor shareholders? Okay, uh, well, how about us? Well, no, 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 the average citizen, we will actually use the banks to go after you. We will monitor all of your financial dealings, and don't worry, this is all in the name of fighting terrorism. Now, why do you have to look into all of our bank accounts to fight terrorists? I mean, you got a suspicion on someone, you can get a warrant, it'll be the easiest thing in the world, and then you go investigate their bank account all you want, because we want to stop there. Of course! Even the, the biggest civil libertarian in the country says, if you got a, even an inkling of information against somebody, and you got a warrant on them, can you investigate their bank account? Of course you can, right? But that's not what they're doing. They're investigating all of us. Here's a new story broken by Reuters today. Quote, the Obama administration is drawing up plans to give all U.S. spy agencies full access to a massive database that contains financial data on American citizens and others who bank in the country, according to a Treasury Department document seen by Reuters. A massive database of all of our information, financial information. Now, they're not going to use this against us, right? I mean, look, there's the reporting requirements anyway, right, that the banks already had, right? I mean, if you're, for example, if you're asking for cash above $10,000, that's a red flag and they have to report that to the government. Now, if you remember the case of Elliot Spitzer, who was the sheriff of Wall Street and actually regulated the banks and cracked down on them, guess what? His bank just happened to find financial reports that they had to do that were not $10,000. They were much less. But golly gee, they decided that that was a suspicious activity report anyway, and then that eventually led to his downfall, and then there was nobody to overlook the banks. Hmm, how did that happen? They did it to him. You think they're not going to do it to you? Well, it depends. If you cross the government in any way, I guarantee you that they do. You cross the banks in any way, I guarantee you that they do. Okay, now if you're a good boy, and you just bow your head, and you accept everything that the powerful tell you to do, well then I guess you might not have a problem. Well, look, let's find out more about this. Now, quote, according to Reuters, the Federal Bureau of Investigation already has full access to the database. However, intelligence agencies, such as the Central Intelligence Agency and the National Security Agency, currently have to make case-by-case -case requests for information from FinCEN. Well, no more. Now, it doesn't have to be case-by-case. -case. Have added Hoss. That's the database of everybody's finances. Pick it apart all you like. You don't like somebody, yeah, who cares? Just look into their bank account, find out what they're paying for, see if you can fish out anything suspicious to go get them for. When they went after L.A. Spitzer, did they think that he was uh, visiting prostitutes? No. They just went on a fishing expedition. Did they have any reasonable suspicion? No. Who cares? But if you look into anybody's bank account and you analyze everything that they spend money on, can you find dirt on almost anybody? <laughs> Well, oh, no, no, you shouldn't have spent that money that way. You shouldn't have spent it this way. Oh, that was too much gambling. That was too much this. <laughs> Once they're in your bank account, they can find anything they want on you. Another quote. The Treasury document outlines a proposal to link the FinCEN database with a computer network used by U.S. defense and law enforcement agencies to share classified information called the Joint Worldwide Intelligence Communication System. This is not some paranoid conspiracy. This is not the Rothschilds or you know the Rockefellers or Bilderberg. This is real. It's reported by Reuters. And 
we just bow our heads and we go along. Oh, well, the government can look at all of our bank accounts. Privacy no longer exists. Okay, great. All right, let's go get the terrorists. Was Elliot Spitzer a terrorist? No. Look, the two things they always use is money and sex, right? They try to find a sexual angle. Oh, Julian Assange once didn't use a condom. Got him. Terrorist, right? Uh, and, well, you know, and he once got information. We got a grand jury in uh, Virginia uh, ready to indict him. But, okay, anyway. Oh, Elliot Spitzer going after the banks. Oh, look at that. I found his bank account and he spent a couple thousand dollars. Oh, look at that. It was for prostitutes. Got him. We take him down. You think that they're not going to use it against their opponents? They already have. How much of this are we going to allow? You know what happens when private corporations run the government? There's a word for it. Okay, It's called fascism. It doesn't mean that we're at the end of fascism, as happened in the 1930s, etc., in Europe. But does it? Is it the beginning? You know that they have a headquarters. Again, this is not conspiracy stuff during Occupy Wall Street. The New York police admitted, etc. It's public information. That they have cameras all throughout New York, as they do in all the major cities. Again, nobody's surprised by this. But what I didn't know until Occupy Wall Street is that in southern uh, Manhattan, they have a headquarters that is run by the cops. That's understandable. They're looking at the cameras. They want to see crime, etc. Right? But that headquarters is shared with the big banks. So the cops are intermingled with J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, etc. They work together in spying on the average citizens, including the Occupy movement that was protesting J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and other big banks. Well, here we have a private corporations basically merging with the state and saying, well, I don't like those guys. I don't like the Occupy guys. Go tase them, go pepper spray them, go you know, kick them out of that park, which is exactly what Bloomberg did. And, oh, I don't like Spitzer. He's actually regulating against me. Go fish up his bank account, find some dirt on him, and make sure he's no longer the governor of New York. Congratulations. We're in 1984. We were a boiling frog, and uh, you didn't leap out of the water. You just sat there, and guess what? We're now boiling. Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. Police is saying, uh, some police, a number of different law enforcement officials. Police I don't is say saying? <laughs> <laughs> Let's back up. What's the best way to say? Uh, police police are groups are saying. Yeah. Uh, uh, law enforcement. Law enforcement is saying. I don't even know who. I don't even know who. People saying, are saying. What's that in the People are saying. Sometimes people have said <laughs> that U.S. law should require logs of text messages to be kept by wireless providers. A variety of police groups like this idea. CNET is reporting about this now. Uh, what would happen under this legislation? The uh, companies like AT&T, 
Verizon, Sprint, other wireless providers would be required to capture and store your text messages, which some people consider to be confidential, according to a proposal that's going to a congressional panel today. And the proposal, which comes from law enforcement, would require the storage of, um, of text messages Similar to the controversial idea of surreptitiously recording audio of their customers' phone calls in the event that police decide in the future, at some point in the future, that they need those records. They need to see what text messages were sent. Now, the argument that is being made is, listen, billions of text messages are sent every day. Some absolutely will contain key evidence about criminal activity. In some cases, evidence is lost because these messages are not stored by the wireless carriers. This could be anything from evidence of stalking, weapons trafficking, uh, domestic violence, any number of things. So if law enforcement uh, has access to this information, and there's a number of groups, including the Major City Chiefs Police Association, the National District Attorneys Association, the National Sheriff's Association, all of these groups want this to happen that it could somehow uh, help to prosecute crime in the future. So the obvious questions are, number one, is this a violation of the Fourth Amendment, um, uh, unreasonable search and seizure? What, what about that? That's question number one. And question number two is, would your behavior be different if you knew this? Or, I mean, I already assume that everything I text and everything I email could, if it came down to it, be obtainable by law enforcement. That doesn't make it right. That just, that's just the, uh, the assumption I'm operating under. From what I understand, companies basically already store these messages, right? For some time, but not for the years that is being requested here. Okay, so um, I, I can't imagine this this would fly, but at the same time, if they're already allowed to keep them for a certain amount of time. Well, let's let's be clear. Verizon did does for up to five days. This is according to a, a Freedom of Information Act request from a few years ago. AT&T, T-Mobile, and Sprint don't store the content of text messages. They do store metadata that says who are you texting and when, but not the content. That's what they say. Verizon for five days. Virgin Mobile, 90 days. And uh, carriers usually keep the metadata for up to a year and a half. So um, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen legally here. Natan, do you think this is going to end up being a constitutional thing, or will it fall under Patriot Act type of stuff? Um, it may. It'll probably go to the courts. I'm just wondering, like, imagine if... Uh normal snail mail letters were copied by the post office and kept indefinitely in their records so that police when they have a warrant to search for it can just review all letters that were ever sent starting from a certain day how is that really any different than this and the reaction to that would be way different wouldn't it Lewis? of course this and and you know natan is right they're the exact same thing this is just another example of legislation falling way behind uh, the technology So the NYPD has been doing this for years, and the so-called lucky bag operation started in 2006 to deter thefts of wallets, shopping bags, smartphones, things like this in the subway. 
and you know basically they they behave in a sloppy fashion and let the thieves you know do their thing and I have a problem with it I just I just have to say I have a problem with it on the on the one hand I also have a problem with the fact that you know I live in Washington DC and I know the statistics you know I use the Louise and I use the metro we don't own, we haven't owned a car in three years you know or since we moved here and we use the metro and you know pretty much the number one crime that happens in the metro is you know train comes and if you're sitting there looking at your smartphone somebody will grab it and hop on that train and boom they're gone or the, if you're you're on the on the train they'll grab it they'll hop off the train and boom they're gone but whatever you, yeah and not only that there's machines there's like vending machines in this town where you drop the smartphone in the recycling machines and it gives you a hundred dollars or whatever you know it gives you a certain amount of money based on the phone but it's like you can you can instantly sell these things or, or recycle them shall we say and so it's like quick cash now I got a problem with both those things <laughs> I don't like that kind of crime and and I, you know, and the idea of you know there being a police officer in every single car and all that kind of thing, I, you know, it's, I don't want to live in a hyper militarized, super police state. Although I'm not sure I would have a problem with there being a camera in every car. But then are you, you know, people are just going to start wearing hoodies or something. They're gonna, they're gonna, you know, they're, so what do you do? And is entrapment a reasonable and appropriate? form of law enforcement we did we did a, a show on this uh, two weeks ago uh, conversations of the great minds you can see it over at conversations of great minds.com where we had on an author who's just written a book about how the uh, fbi has been you know finding basically poor troubled screwed up people uh, almost all of the muslims or people of color and providing them with the the means to become terrorists and then arresting them for being terrorists and, you know, has it gone too far? I mean, I want the FBI to be looking out for people who might be terrorists. I'm assuming you do, too. But I don't want them or anybody else to be saying, here, have 100 pounds of explosive. Or have 100 pounds of cookie dough, and but you think it's explosive, and now we're going to arrest you. Or whatever. I mean, it's just... At what point, where do we draw the lines? What is appropriate law enforcement? And to what extent has this whole sting operation thing become part of not good old-fashioned police work, but rather some kind of odd game that's being played, or is there money to be made in it? I mean, is there, an, is there some kind of an industry associated with this? Is there... Is there a consulting group that is teaching cops how to do this, or are there, you know, video cameras that go along with it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. You know, I don't know if this is the consequence of somebody pushing this. You know, the the way that private prisons are trying to, you know, get you know stricter, harsher sentencing guidelines, and you know, so they can have more more prisoners. Or on the other hand, is this just like you know? Am I totally wrong? Is this a really good law enforcement technique? And it's cutting down on street crime, and it is putting away career criminals. And if so, should we be doing more of it? 
And where and when do we draw the line? And how do you know when and where to draw the line? I mean, the theory is that it's not entrapment if the person was disposed to commit the crime anyway and you simply provided them with the opportunity to commit the crime. In other words, you leave a car with the car keys in it on us on the street and somebody hops in and turns the car on and drives away, steals the car. That's not entrapment because obviously they were, they were inclined to steal a car. Whereas, you know, on the other hand, is that still, is that the way that we should be doing law enforcement? It's the Onion Radio News. The guy from that Pringles ad is convicted of murder on law and order. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Actor Lionel Carver, who appears in a Pringles commercial currently airing on major networks, has been convicted of first-degree murder on NBC's Law and Order. According to Rio Rancho, New Mexico TV viewer Cammy Taylor, when Carver was led into the courtroom, she knew she had seen him before. All of a sudden, it hit me. He's the dad in that ad where the kids keep asking him trivia questions printed on the chips. Taylor was delighted at the news of Carver's conviction, but added, quote, Knowing our TV justice system, he'll probably be back on the streets in a Verizon commercial in a matter of weeks. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News online. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Well, because there were uh because there has been all of this discussion now about you know how do we, about about surveillance in the wake of the Boston bombing. So first of all, it was you know it was it was cameras that managed to to uh, help identify who the suspects were. Um, and there's there's talk about trying to basically up Boston's surveillance game. They're upping it because apparently it's it they just they don't have enough cameras. They need to be more like New York. They need to be more like London. Hmm. Uh, they need to up their surveillance game because that could have prevented this from happening. Apparently, well, I mean, and the best part about it is, so 
so this has happened. So the conversation has immediately become about uh about surveillance, about cameras, about what what cameras are there, what cameras aren't there. We should have more cameras, blah blah blah. Now, if you've ever listened to a We Nerd Hard, we kind of talked about this one time about the idea of so much uh of your your your, uh, your I guess your your privacy is gone upon leaving your house. And I made I made the argument that I was like I, it, it kind of is what it is at this point. Uh, not re- uh, not even realizing how much it's being forced as opposed to just it, the natural occurrence of uh, over time. But specifically, people are doing this, and it's specific to ignore. Uh, it's specifically ignoring what even would be considered uh, your your rights so to privacy and stuff like that. And amazingly enough, this conversation kind of uh, kicked off on uh, on Morning Joe this morning, and uh, Ray Kelly, Ray Kelly, the guy who's uh, who's defending defending stopping Fritz till his death, was on the show. And he decided to. They asked him about this, and this is what was what he just, uh, how he weighed in on it. Speak to the uh, to the use of surveillance cameras in urban areas. The increasing reliance on surveillance cameras. Some people, you know, civil libertarians that worry about you know surveillance cameras, but how they assist. It's not actually just civil libertarians. It's actually just people in general who just go, man. You mean I can't ever ever not be on camera? Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in not preventing crime, perhaps, but maybe preventing crime, but just the use of surveillance. Cameras. Yeah, I, I think they prevent crime, and certainly in identifying someone who's committed a crime. I can tell you that's the first thing that our officers do, our detectives do, when a crime happens, a shooting, murder. They're looking for uh, surveillance cameras. They're looking for private sector cameras. Now we have a significant number of our own cameras, public sector cameras, probably up to as many as six thousand now, and and. They're in- increasing, and some of our cameras, particularly in the lower Manhattan, are smart cameras. Uh, they can identify certain. So did you say six thousand cameras? Yeah, they, 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 they may say like in Boston they had like three hundred. <laughs> yeah, we have six thousand cameras in New York City. Half of them in the in, 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 in the in the in the Wall Street area. Jesus. Uh, for instance, putting a package down, leaving that package down for let's say three minutes, an alarm can uh, go off. So really? the, the smart cameras are and they're increasing in, in number. So run the smart camera wow. aspect by me again. I am down on Lower Wall Street. I put a bag down on the curb. I walk away. The camera hones in on the bag and sounds an alarm after yes. three minutes. Yeah. You can put algorithms in these cameras that enable them to do just that. As a matter of fact, we have an example of, of a bag being dropped. Uh, so wait, there's cameras that can um, actually algorithms to check on those type of things. There's no there's no cameras that would uh, that would do better uh, at I don't know uh, seeing whether or not uh, crime is happening in certain areas. If you can respond to something within a three minute. Uh, or uh, thing. Why are you actively stopping and patting down people as opposed to I don't know using these uh, these um, these magical cameras that you're talking about? Wait, that's you're just trying to make sense. Stop doing that. I mean, if you're, I mean, we have these magical cameras. They have a magical camera that can literally see you stop and drop a bag and walk away, and will time it, and then all of a sudden cops will show up. But you have to specifically make uh, brown and black folks feel uh, inhuman. Interesting. Outside the New York Stock Exchange, and very quickly it's identified, and the bomb squad responds. And it was, you know, it obviously wasn't a bomb, but uh, yeah, we have that uh, capacity, and we're increasing that, that capability in the cameras that uh, that we have. The, the world is changing. So I'm a major proponent of uh, of cameras. The more cameras, the better. I'm shocked that Ray Kelly, 
Okay, like Kelly, kind of taken aback by his stance. Yes, is 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 like you know what? I want as many cameras as possible. I mean, obviously he's going to deal with the idea of privacy here. I mean, he wouldn't just be able to say all that and not uh, explain like how this works with privacy, right? And I think the privacy issue is, uh, you know, really been taken off the table. What? Wait, what? <laughs> oh. The privacy issue has been taken off the table, really? It's yeah. Apparently, apparently that's just not even an issue anymore. So, according to who? Congrats, everybody. You walk into a department store, you're being photographed thirty times, right. a couple hundred times a day, uh, when you're out in the public domain. So, I don't think people are concerned about it. I think they accept it in sort of a post nine eleven world the situation. Yeah, I mean. Uh, um. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just I'm fighting. I'm sorry for all those folks that don't know, but I'm just, I'm fighting my impulse to launch into an analysis of Foucault and power for the next 25 minutes because dear God in heaven, it's about consent and power. And the fact that like, just because you walk into a store and are like, you just, you haven't abandoned your privacy. You're just, you have to consent in order to be able to live your life. But that is, you have to consent, which is power. That is authority having you consent. And actually I take it back. I, I, I disagree. There are some uh, spaces like like uh, the fact is that the camera that really uh, got uh, the, uh, the the bombers was a Lord and Taylor camera, right? Which right. one was not uh, like pointing in Lord and Taylor, so that's interesting. Uh, but under normal circumstances, you can make the argument that uh, I don't need to go into Lord and Taylor, so I don't have to give up my ability to be tracked at, uh, all the time. Whereas I do have to walk in the streets. I mean, to I mean, most times, I mean, I could attempt to have everything in my life delivered to me directly, or God forbid, I ever need to go anywhere. So you're that's what I mean. That, that's uh, what I mean. Like you point, have to live your life. Yeah. So, so at some point, to it. basically, I in order for me to walk outside the house, I am going to be photographed fifteen thousand times, and because I have not actively bust shots at the cameras as I was walking by it, I've consented. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're consenting because you're you're alive, and and authority has has basically has has placed the cameras in such a way that in order for you to continue to just live your life and be alive, you have to consent. You have. You to. would think that Mike would be asking about these smart cameras for public safety reasons. Yeah, right, the smart cameras. Yeah, I mean, which I find interesting. They actually showed a clip of it where like it has like a 180 degree uh, view of stuff. Uh, which I mean is interesting, but yeah, I, I all right. Well, I mean, this is I mean, apparently, apparently, no one cares about that. Privacy, privacy, bah. Let's go about no, our day. I mean, it's I mean, it's actually, and it's all, and it actually is also part of. I mean, first of all, the argument the argument has already been made, and they they actually made it shortly after the um, the July seventh bombings in London, the subway bombings there. Now London. Um, is has extreme cameras. Well, how many cameras is it in London again? Well, just on the tube alone. So their subway system, there are eleven thousand cameras, just on the tube. Yes. Countrywide, so for for the entire UK, one point eight five million cameras. That's one for every thirty two people. Mm. Now. There weren't that many cameras, but it was close in 2007. And all of the folks that went on the train with that, that blew up the train, that blew up the buses were seen on camera. It didn't stop crime. You just saw it before it happened. 
It doesn't, there were so many cameras that were out in, in Boston. We're in a place where we now are, you know, if you see something, say something. But I mean, if it happens so quickly, if it happens in, 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 you can't, cameras are not going to make us safer. They're just going to further erode our own civil liberties. That's all they're going to do. It just gives the state more power. And it puts us in a position where we have to consent because we want to be able to go to the grocery store and feed our kids and pay bills and do all the things that we have to do in our life. And the state is basically like, okay, you can do those things, but we have to watch every step that you take. And you have to agree to it because we said so because we're the state and we are armed. And we have the power to do whatever we want. So we're going to put in cameras. Deal with it. The best part about it is that, like, I, I've, I've always kind of accepted to a, a certain extent that there's cameras out there. I've, but it's really weird when someone specifically is telling you that you don't care. Also, my brain, like, my, my, my inner, my inner, my inner Elon goes, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Just cause I, I, I've kind of, I'm not, I'm not in, in fact busting shots of things doesn't mean I don't care. Is that I've just grit my teeth and I've, I've kind of tried to bear it. But the fact is that, I mean, you're talking about more and that no one cares. Like people do care. People do, I, I don't think people want more cameras really. I mean, some people do. Like I won't, I can't speak for every human being. Obviously there are people out there who are like all about that. They're like, woo. Cameras, more cameras. I want, I, I want, I want them to be able to tell me everything I did upon walking out those, uh, my front door. I'm sure there are people like that. I'm not like that. <laughs> that doesn't actually make me feel better. You believe it's reasonable that you can't, you just can't stop. You can't actually, no matter how hard you look, you can't stop crime and miscreants. Yeah, well, apparently not. Well, no, I mean it's, but I mean it's just all it is is a tool of social control. That's all it is, and it's and it's a way to to manufacture more criminals. And so if you put in those, you know, algorithmically, uh, refined cameras, let's say, let's say that they, that they do manage to come up with a way that's basically like a surveilled, uh, a camera based stop and frisk instead of like a, like the actual physical stop and frisk. Then it's actually easier for the state to be like, oh, the algorithm did it. That wasn't us. The algorithm picked up on the fact that, you, that, that it thought that you were carrying something. That wasn't, that, that, that wasn't, that wasn't us at all. Never mind that like, it's not like cameras can't be programmed to, to have some, some problems with, for example, I don't know, race. I mean, but that would be, uh, there would at least be code there. Like, like, that was my, like, it's not like they, uh, they said that that can happen. That was me throwing that in there. Uh, no, but and, I mean, uh, like, but the problem is that you don't, if it's, if it's all left in the hands of the state, there's, and, and what oversight do we have? They're like, this is for your own security. This is for your own protection. We're protecting you. Protecting us from who? Protect, they're, they're, they're all that, they're not, this isn't about protection, this is about criminalization. It's about creating a population of people that we are okay with locking away or executing. Like we're okay with that because it's not us. And this is, this is the mechanism on which the state operates using surveillance to do that. The more surveillance, the more, the easier it is to basically create unacceptable populations of people that, that can then be subjected to not having their Miranda rights read or sent to Guantanamo or just put in jail or, you know, what, what are the, the myriad of ways that we treat people who are considered to be, you know, outside of, ex- in excess of bad elements of society. That's what surveillance does.
Surveillance camera images of Tamerlan and Jakard Tsarnaev catalyzed not only the manhunt which caught them, but calls for more surveillance cameras around the country. The usual suspects took their usual sides on the issue. Law enforcement speaking security versus privacy advocates speaking privacy. But it's worth remembering that right now, video surveillance is a blunt tool. Technology is racing forward toward capabilities that will make today's surveillance methods and the privacy fears attached to them seem almost quaint. Christoph Bregler is a professor of computer science at New York University. His lab has received military and commercial funding to create the surveillance tools of the future. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I guess the main thing separating whatever tomorrow's technology is from today's is searchability. Uh, that's correct. Right now you can search any text with Google and find it right away, but you cannot do the same thing on video yet. So we're working on making that searchable in a similar way. I'm trying to imagine a zillion cameras deployed and the cops or the CIA or the Army being able to figure out exactly where I've been, who I've been with, and what I was doing, you know, with a mouse click. Yes, so that was actually the initial goal already over 10 years ago, and we've been working on using face recognition, but also intrinsic biometrics. In simple terms is when you look 20 blocks down the street, even you cannot recognize a face, if this is your friend, you can recognize, oh, this is exactly the motion pattern of Uncle Freddy. You mean his gait, his pattern of walking, his posture? Right. His timing, his gestures, his body language. I myself, I'm from Germany, and when I'm in New York and I see a German tourist 20 blocks away, I can tell this is exactly an Italian tourist or a German tourist, even without... Wait, wait, wait. You have German dar? Yes, yes, I have. And we actually showed that computers can do that, too. We can detect national background. Our technique can do this with 80% accuracy. We combine that with sound spectrum of how the people are speaking, the height of the person. We are getting to very, very small error rates. Chris, I want to ask you about the Boston Marathon bombings. The police eventually located suspects by combing through a lot of surveillance camera footage, actually not government surveillance cameras, but private ones, I think attached to a Lord & Taylor store where they finally made their positive ID. How would that investigation change in the future that you're envisioning? If you look at any kind of attack, there's always enough information there. It's just a problem. People couldn't connect it fast enough. What we're working on is to narrow down out of millions of videos down to like the top 100 events and then a security specialist can go in there and then decide yes this is suspicious and this is not suspicious so for example we know that two hours before the event there was an entire bus of tourists coming out and positioned themselves at a certain corner and we can track them and can rule out this set of people is less suspicious and then whoever is left over is marked red the most important thing is we can do this instantly. Well, it's easy to see why law enforcement would be champing at the bit to get a hold of these tools. And it's also easy to see why privacy advocates are, are frantic because you're, you're describing the security state. You're describing 
Big Brother, the abuse of this kind of technology seems to be almost unavoidable. How worried should we be? Uh, definitely we should be worried because the police has access to a lot of surveillance of video cameras. And right now, uh, the technology is not there yet to allow them to actually process all the video. All the agencies are right now overwhelmed with too much data they cannot process. And I would even speculate right now that through crowdsourcing and the Internet, all the citizens all together are faster than government agencies right now in processing it. We're all little brothers to the big brother, and we actually have much more power than we expected. Nonetheless, we are envisioning a government who could, if they wished to and could get away with it, routinely follow us around, which just seems so grossly not the American way. What do you anticipate will happen once this technology is unleashed? We just have to get used to it, that we're less private citizens. We will most likely act differently in public places because we know in advance, if I'm out in the public sitting in a cafe, I know whatever I do, somebody will track it. And so we might change our behavior. Because the government is watching and the government and everybody else chris thank you so much you're welcome christoph bregler is a professor of computer science at new york university we're all alone no chaperone can get our number the world's in slumber let's misbehave there's something wild about you child that's so contagious let's be outrageous let's misbehave when Adam won Eve's hand, he wouldn't stand for teasing. He didn't care about those apples out of season. They say the spring means just one thing to little lovebirds. We're not above birds. Let's misbehave. As to the value of not Mirandizing, here's a snippet from Fox News where a former FBI agent comes on and says, well, let's play this clip. It surprises the hell out of the, um, the Fox News reporter, I think, to the extent that she fully gets what this guy is saying. And for more on this now, we're going to bring in our next guest, Chris Voss, retired FBI special agent, hostage negotiator, and terrorism expert. He also is the managing director of Insight Security. We've talked uh, quite a few times over the last few days, Chris. It's great to have you back on the program. Thank you, John. Let's pick up off of what Catherine was just reporting on there, which is a debate about whether or not the suspect should be read his Miranda rights. Moving past it, the politics of it, because it seems to be getting a little political. As a former member of the FBI, how does whether or not the suspect has read his Miranda rights influence or impact your investigation? Well, it really becomes irrelevant. I mean, good rapport-based interviewers, interrogators, who are the ones that are the most effective. I mean, the FBI doesn't do that because we're nice. We do that because it worked. And rapport-based interviewers, Miranda, they, they can read that and then continue the relationship. It's not a big problem. It's not a major obstacle. It, it's almost irrelevant. Really? Because we're hearing that it's such a, a major issue about what we, whether we get to the bottom of, of this investigation. So what should we consider as we continue to hear this debate ongoing over the next several days? 
Um, it doesn't. It really doesn't make that much difference to the interviewers, um, and especially the particular group of profilers that they've developed at, uh, at Quantico, at the FBI Academy, CERG. Um, this is not terribly relevant. They can sit down with these people. They can interview them. They look for behavioral cues. They look for a way to establish a relationship so that the individual starts to talk. That's, that's it. They, they do it because it's effective. And you can even interview people occasionally with a lawyer in the room. And the lawyer, if the individual starts to be deceptive in the, in, in the interview, will start to tell the person to tell the truth. And, and so it, Miranda and it's, it's much ado about nothing, in my view. It's interesting. It's nice to have your perspective after more than 20 years with the FBI. There you have it. He's coming on to say that in terms of the investigation, Mirandizing does not in any way inhibit our ability to get information. And he goes as far as to say that, you know, sometimes a lawyer actually helps us. So all we are left with is really the decision to strip us of our constitutional rights. And for the benefit of, well, at least in terms of the investigation, nothing. So I don't know that we will hear this, um, this type of uh, testimony any more than we heard, you know, torture doesn't really help either. You get much more out of building a rapport with people. That's simply the way it works. And uh, I think this, uh, this FBI agent was one of the same guys who said that, right? I mean, uh, I don't know specifically, but I think Jane Mayer had a piece. Yeah, it was Ali Safan, yeah. who was the FBI agent who said the torture got in the way of us collecting more information. Well, no, like literally to the point that you would have a rapport established with a guy, in, uh, information yes. was coming, then guys came in, disrupted the, the, uh, the interrogation that they were doing, tortured him, and that was it. Right. I mean, then you're back to maybe even worse than square one. Is there anybody out there who is lost and hurt and lonely too? Are they bleeding all your colors into one? As if you'd been run through Some catapulted fire chill You wonder if your chance will ever come Or if you're stuck in square in New York, the constitutionality of stop and frisk is being questioned in the courts, and some interesting testimony is coming up when it comes to the quota system uh, in the NYPD. Now, of course, police don't want to admit that they have a quota system. Uh, they refer to it as performance goals, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's a little oh, bit that's of... That's awesome. Performance goals. <laughs> right. Well, I didn't have a quota for number of arrests. I just had a goal for performance on based on arrests. What do you right. mean? What do you mean? Now, an interesting thing is happening. Um, there are two police officers who are whistleblowers in this case, and as they're testifying, um, there are uh, police commanders and city lawyers that are uh, fighting back against the whistleblowers, and they're doing so by accusing them of being lazy, right? They're saying, look, we have to have these performance goals because if we don't, these police officers are lazy. They don't want to get out of their, their squad cars. They just want to sit there. So we have to make sure that they're doing their job. So as a result, these police officers are being told, I, 
you need to meet a quota, so why don't you go up and harass random people on the streets that you might suspect might be doing something, even though they're not doing anything wrong at all? So it encourages a couple of things. One, it encourages fishing expeditions. Yeah. Go frisk that guy in case he's got anything so that you could maybe meet your quota. It also encourages you to plant stuff on people if you've got to get a certain number of rests by a certain period of time and you can't find enough. Like, and that you understand something else that's really important. Finding actual guilty people takes a lot of work, yep. right? And so you have to do detective work, you have to figure out who's, you might actually have to police the neighborhood, right? On the other hand, stop and frisk is easy. Planting evidence is easy, yep. right? And you gotta meet the quota either, either way. And this is not theoretical. The reason we're having this case is because that's what they've been caught doing time and time again. Absolutely. In fact, uh, the lawyers who have brought this stop and frisk case to the court say the following. Um, according to the civil rights lawyers who brought the stop and frisk case uh, to the lawsuit, action lawsuit, uh, the number of street stops have soared over the last decade because police officers under pressure to make the quota have started to stop uh, people whom they have no reason to suspect of wrongdoing. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And then, shockingly enough, it turns out, as we've shown you over and over on this show, uh, the uh, people that they stop happen to be disproportionately black and Latino. Right. What a wild coincidence. Huh, interesting. Uh, and then uh, one other thing is, as Adam pointed out, in the case, the top police officials are throwing the other cops under the bus. They're testifying in court saying, our cops are lazy bums. Like, if we don't let them, if we don't force them, they're going to be sitting and eating donuts inside the car the whole time. Well, why don't you take action on that? Why don't you stop being lazy and figuring out, and figure out a way to motivate your cops properly instead of doing the lazy thing, which is just to do a quota? I don't know how to manage cops. Screw it, I'll put a quota on, and whether people are guilty or not, they'll bring me a number of arrests. That's lazy. Right. And also another thing that's extremely lazy is planting evidence on people. We did a story about that where uh, police officers in New York, specifically in Brooklyn, were planting drugs on um, people at bars. And then they would be like, oh, where did these drugs come from? Mm, we got to arrest you. So the stuff that's happening in New York is ridiculous. I'm glad that stop and frisk is being challenged right now, especially because of the fact that it just disproportionately impacts blacks and Latinos. I mean, we got to clean this up. This is crazy. One last random thing here. Man, I really was naive when I was younger. This is something that Steve-O gets all over me for, and he's right about it, right? And I remember having this debate when we were in college with him. And, he, and you know, he's a no-good, dirty lib, and I was uh, a little bit more conservative at the time. And uh, he, he, a couple of his friends had gotten stuff planted on them by cops somewhere by the Canadian border. I forget if it was in Toronto or on this side of the border. Anyway, uh, and I was like, man, Steve, you're being ridiculous. Why would cops... Uh, plant things. They, they, they wouldn't. No, the cops are here to protect us. Why would they ever plant evidence? It makes no sense. <laughs> oh, man. Government and police, civilian and police, taxi man and police, everyone and police are war. Who make you read so far is a while now. I know spot a swaddy in a lana bar. Police have to run from police. What is this from police? We don't know about the thing bizarre. Right now the force needs CPR. It looks like a wound they are going to leave.
Cause the people are go ball and go fit the tire Then the church are fi go kneel and go in a prayer When the people are rebel and I set them a suffer A criminal elements alone and love the law So why are the majority I call you murderer? Me think we need for your up and solve the puzzle, yeah Remember how our duty is the first of all the law Interesting story here. College professor Laura Curry from University of Buffalo has been arrested for swearing at a pro-life display. There was a... Uh, I, I don't actually even want to call it that. There was an anti-abortion display with graphic medical images and all sorts of stuff. You know the type of thing, Lewis. You, we, we know the type of people that put this together. Oh, yeah. And she didn't like it. And she was swearing. She wasn't very agitated. She was just there swearing. Police officers told her to stop swearing. And that kind of made her more irritated. And she ended up getting arrested. And she really wasn't being disorderly. She was just saying... Why is my swearing a big deal? There's really graphic images right here. That's offensive. Let's take a look at what happened. Well, you have an opinion about my language. So my my tenor or my velocity, my volume is also profane. I am not being disorderly. That is disorderly. That is disorderly. No, I'm not judging. That's for me. And I can speak, and that's my first amendment right. I am supposed. I am supposed. Oh, my feelings are very strong. I wasn't that teacher, and that's violence. And they're having a discussion. And she was told not to swear. I am carrying on. I can swear because that's part of my vocabulary and that's part of my personal right. Where does it say that I cannot use the f word? Where does it say that? The law says that. Amen. But that isn't profane. So now he's saying that they're saying you're being profane, and she's saying, "Listen, the incredibly graphic anti-abortion display is what's profane." And then as things advance, she ends up getting cuffed, and then asks for her class to be notified that she got arrested. That's scary. That's scary. So now that she swore again, she gets arrested. She's getting cuffed. That image is profane. All right, so please let my one o'clock know that I am under arrest. I have to say that I understand that she, you know, if she was harassing or bullying students at the display, arrest her. If she is just, uh, that level of rowdiness does not correlate to an arrest to me in any way. No, um, but if if you are an officer on the scene and you're very bored, you might decide that <laughs> this is something to do. I don't no know. one can stop the Westboro Baptist Church from picketing funerals and saying whatever they want. This woman is arrested for saying the F word. And, and to be honest, pretty calmly, given that she was being uh, uh, you know, bugged by the police officers quite a bit there. It, it's just unbelievable. It doesn't make any sense to me in a ton. Yeah, it seemed like maybe she wanted to get arrested. I mean, it seems like it's a good way of getting the word out. I mean, she's sort of forcing people to discuss this on campus and elsewhere i mean we're talking about it here whether whether what she's doing is more or less profane or equally profane to the ridiculous uh, setup they have there but it's like take take the display down if you're here to to do anything that's going to improve the situation uh, pretty pretty disturbing stuff
Lewis, what would you say is the number one reason people should tune into the David Pakman show if they like Jay Tomlinson's Best of the Left podcast? I mean, I see it completely differently from, from someone who's just watching it. Yeah, well, but if I was asking someone else's opinion for the promo... I don't even watch our show, so how can I answer that question? I do not watch our show. So Lewis is, isn't even a fan of the show. <laughs> Maybe the answer is Lewis doesn't actually like Can you this be show. a fan of the show? I mean, are you? Can, is, isn't that kind of stupid to be a fan of your own show? I'm a huge fan of this show. <laughs> of course. That's like being a fan of yourself. You're like a narcissist. What, do you put pictures up of yourself at home, too? Well, if that doesn't make you curious... I don't know what will. Check out the David Pakman show at davidpakman.com. Profanity is what you see every day. Words don't do it justice. Media outlets fined by the FCC on charges of indecency, while Pat Robertson calls for the assassination of Hugo Chavez, but he is not charged with attempted conspiracy. Profanity is what you see every day. Words don't do it justice. Katrina came down like gangbusters and wiped out the Gulf Coast. And the media said whites were finding but blacks were looting. And everybody knows if Katrina came to the Hamptons, there would be no human disaster. Profanity is what you see every day. Words don't do it justice. Politicians robbing the public trust. Corporations robbing employee pensions. And nothing is trickling down to the poor and needy. Meanwhile, Reality TV is showing America the value of being greedy. Profanity is what you see every day. Words don't do it justice. Columbus Day and Thanksgiving Day are national holidays that slap Native Americans in the face who are suffering on reservations. And for slavery, there is still no apology and no dedication. Profanity is what you see every day. Words don't do it justice. Millions of working, hungry, and homeless people dying with no health care while the rich get richer off kickbacks and corporate welfare. And the rhetoric of the middle class is for everyone to pull themselves up by their bootstraps until they are in a jam and ask for help from Uncle Sam. Profanity is what you see every day. Words don't do it justice. Why call it sugar when it is shit? Why call it flubbed when it is fucked? The public is asleep at the wheel driving down the highway to disaster but we can't say it's a motherfucking shame because the children will hear even though pimps and pedophiles dressed as friends and family fuck their future and brainwash them into becoming racist sexist ignorant homophobic misogynistic abusive monsters we no longer speak truth to power because the fbi and cia are sticking cameras up our asses and scaring us into silence we campaign for family values where our families are being decimated by corrupt politicians sending young people to die for their interests while their own children suck each other off and spend our tax dollars. Profanity is what you see every day. Words don't do it justice. Stop calling on the FCC and wipe out the real profanity. Overthrow the corruption and create a true democracy. Build a system of equality with which everyone can cope. Then we can finally, as a nation, wash our mouths out with soap. Uh, George from South Florida again. Just wanted quickly to make a comment on uh, your part one to the Boston bombing show. I'm making this comment before listening to the voicemails, which I'm going to do right after. But uh, first, I just want to say it was a great show. Uh, a lot of 
good, good, good commentary on it. They touched a lot on the root of, of a big, big problem in this country of really kind of having our heads up our butts and not really knowing what else is going on out there and, and not getting to the, pro the root of the problem, which is figuring out why people hate us. Why the U.S., apart from being a superpower, which is already reason enough, you know, when you're on top, everybody wants to knock you down, but why people really get this uh, or come up with this big hatred of the U.S. can't be denied that we do a lot of not such great things around the world, and that's why a lot of people do hate us. But uh, as far as a problem here at home, um, the big thing is education. And uh, I think when uh, people use the word, the term education, it, it gets a little confused, and a lot of uneducated or very uh, sheltered Americans think of education purely as K through 12 or getting a college degree or something like that. But uh, education is really all about gaining awareness of, of your surroundings, uh, gaining awareness of other perspectives, uh, being cultured, travel, uh, getting to know people around you, not only in your own country, but from other countries around the world. And we are so lucky here in the United States to, to be surrounded by so many diverse people that we don't have to travel across the ocean or to other countries to necessarily learn about different cultures firsthand. We can do it with our neighbor. We can knock on the next door neighbor's house. Uh, if he's Muslim, if he's foreign, if he's uh, from a different country, speaks a different language, or has, or the first generation American, or so, or, or so on, you can uh, you can talk to them about it and, and learn from them. I mean, where else? I live in a place where my next door neighbors come from from the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, the ones in the back are Caucasian. I'm Latin American, first generation American, and just next to me we have more Latin Jamaicans all over my neighborhood that I can learn all about uh, different cultures just like that. So I just wanted to make that comment, uh, and I'll keep listening. Thanks a lot. See you later, Jay. Hey, Jay. It's Jason from Iowa again. Uh, haven't talked to you in a while, and I've been listening to the show, and Certain things I've disagreed with, but I don't have time to deal with them all here. But I did just finish part one of the Boston bombing episode. And thoughts I kind of had about it were this, and they really touched on it in... And, and this was kind of the first thought I had was, what are we going to do with the surveillance state? And then they also talked about that in the Charlie Rose segment you played in that episode. And... Hearing it instantly brought chills to mind because it brought me back to that Friday when they were still continuing the manhunt for the second brother and the ways they were doing it and locking down an entire city and it just that scared the shit out of me more than I think anything since 9-11 because of the fact that they completely disavowed the Constitution in the name of finding one guy who was deemed a terrorist because he was also deemed to be a Muslim because of the group he identified with and in hearing all the stuff that was on that episode, I, I couldn't help but agree with your final comment to say that it's, we're not going after criminals, we're going after Muslim terrorists. Because we don't go with, at these guys with the same fervor we do as white extremist Americans. Which is kind of a really bullshit misnomer of a clarification for somebody anyways, because they were American and we're American, so what part does the fact that they were Muslim American have to do with anything? 
I, I think you're really right on the nail with that when you said, hey, let's, let's identify them first as criminals and then go from there because we're going to completely condemn an entire people based on one statement. And I think that Charlie Rose segment, that that didn't strike fear into anybody's heart except for me, that's a scary thought because 1984 is coming and it's already here even. And it's just scary the way that they went to all this technology to find this one guy. And the biggest worry I have about that now is mission creep. I mean, what will they use surveillance drones for next? You know, will they start using it for sporting events, trying to trying to condemn those people who we think might be causing these problems in the future at sporting events like the Boston Marathon? It's a scary thought. Anyways, thanks, Jay. You do awesome work, and you always keep me thinking and engaged. And been loving to hear different segments from different people, especially Charlie Rose. You have some good stuff from time to time. Thanks a lot, man. Love you. Love the show. Keep on. Later. Just a quick note on this one that I don't think I've ever used material from Charlie Rose, but I think the caller must be referring to the clips from Moyers and Company. Hi, this is Chris from Middletown, New York, and I was just listening to your show on the media, and uh, a lot of the obvious has been stated. Let me start by saying, holy disinformation fact, man. Is it really news that you won't get objective reporting from America's TV network? Newsflash, America has critical thinking deficit. And what's the cure? We'll try turning off TV and AM radio, use multiple perspectives and sources available on our internet. Unplug, turn off, tune in, yes, cancel your TV service. Addiction to shallow incongruity is no way to evolve. In the last 12 years, America has been transformed into a financially and intellectually impoverished country. Yet while being morally bankrupt to the point of killing so many innocent people in Iraq and Afghanistan, America ironically thinks itself to be a shining beacon. How did this happen? After the controlled demolition of the World Trade Center in 2001, America was fed copious, never-ending, 24-hour-a-day fear-mongering. The word terror was the new condition stimulus. Fear, blind fear, the conditioned response. What tools were used? Well, like we're talking about, TV and AM radio. To ask, can't you see it, would be a paradoxical situation. I mean... The TV's there, the, the video, the radio, it's all there telling us who we should be afraid of. Bad reporting. Just to hit the right hot buttons on the masses. That's what it is. Turn it off. So you can tune in through the internet. You know, it reminds me, Joseph Goebbels said, the essence of propaganda consists in winning people over to an idea so sincerely, so vitally, that in the end, they succumb to it utterly and can never escape from it. The American way of life in 2013. Why don't we start looking at it? Critical thinking. Turn off the TV. You know, let's start looking at human life instead of who the enemy is, who the terrorists are. Terrorists? Take a look at bad driving. You'll find 45,000 people a year killed by bad driving in the United States alone. How many people are dead globally due to terrorism? 2,000? We're only 5% of the population. Do the math. All right, love the show. Cheers.
Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So today, I really just want to sort of second that motion that Chris from Middletown, New York, was just laying out about uh, the importance of critical thinking, because, I mean, I certainly find myself in this difficult situation, and I think we're all in it, but, you know, as ostensibly a a part of the media while constantly criticizing the media (laughs) and you know and as a person who tries to bring news from other news outlets and and compile them together and and give you the best of what i think is going on out there you know to constantly say that you know the media is terrible we don't know what's really going on there's propaganda going on and then say but here's the real news this is what you should know it puts it puts you in an interesting position because well i don't know i think it's obvious so i you know i constantly you know hope and pray that the things i you know listen to and believe in are true first of all and and accurate and you know as as we all sort of try to you know save the world for lack of a better term it's it's difficult because how can you save something when you don't know quite exactly what's wrong with it and you know i think tv is you know tv news is is the easiest probably to make fun of and and point out the flaws in it and you know although there is great journalism going on uh you know in in all different medias uh you know i think print is still doing the best but you know even print journalism is suffering from the same budget cutbacks and economic circumstances as the rest of the media and so it's it's difficult and so as chris was saying it's sort of the last line of defense between knowing what's going on and, uh, you know, being duped into believing falsities is our sense of critical thinking. And so I, I absolutely try to use it as much as I possibly can. And I highly recommend that you keep your sense of critical thinking as highly attuned while listening to this show as CNN or anything else. So that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you're not already subscribed to the show to get every single episode that comes out, there are lots of easy ways to do it. Everything from iTunes or the standard RSS feed to a variety of great uh, smartphone apps. I think that's definitely where the world of podcasting is going. Uh, you know, everyone's going mobile. It's a lot easier that way. And that's why there is actually a best of the left app made specifically for the show, made for iPhone and Android. So check that out if you're interested. Thanks also and especially to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted on the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought black and white, you took apart a picture that wasn't right, bitch burning on a shiny Take you out